We're continuing our series in First Peter, and I hope that you're getting to know this uh, great man and what he's telling the early church here. And we've called this First Peter Ambassadors of Hope. And tonight, today's message is focusing on the ambassador's manner, how we're to uh, conduct ourselves with respect and love. As I mentioned earlier to you, the purpose statement for this book is found in First Peter chapter 5, towards the end of the book, which is not uncommon for this era. And he tells us that through Sylvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And he writing to that early church living in central Turkey. We call that area Asia Minor. And those regions, those towns, those regions that we talked about. And they were starting to feel persecution. They were starting to feel the pressure and adversity that came as a result of being Christians. They were different. They were unique from the Roman citizens. And they were feeling the brunt of it. They were feeling the pressure. And... Peter is writing specifically to that early church because this is about 63 A.D. If you're familiar with your history, 64 A.D., Nero starts his empire-wide persecution in spots, but they're starting to feel it in Asia Minor. And it's through this early church persecution that the church flourishes. And I think part what God revealed to Peter to communicate to us. And this is not an unusual phenomenon. Christians have been persecuted throughout history. Um, through the ages, we see that there were various persecutions of the church. And even today, Christians around the world, there have been more Christians that have died for their faith in Christ in the 20th century than all the centuries prior to that combined. It costs to be a Christian. And Peter's advice to that all of us in that early church, the historic church, and today's church is, this is God's grace. Stand firm in it. I think of the one account in history of Martin Luther. We're coming up on October 31st, which we celebrate the eve of all hollows. It's Catholic tradition. It's kind of, uh, next day is the first All Saints Day. But back in uh, 1517, October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, so Catholic monk takes these 95 theses and nails them to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral. They were written in Latin. They were designed to reform the church. He saw these terrible abuses that were going on in the church, and he wanted to reform it, to bring it back to a biblical church, to what the Bible is saying, not what popes and councils were teaching. Time goes on, and he's being... um, persecuted for this and he stands before a diet we you've in history you've learned it as the diet of worms we always laughed at that in grade school diet of worms is pretty funny but it was a council in worms germany that uh, charles v was there and all these people standing to hear him give defense of his treaties and his theses here and they wanted him to recant and it's interesting what he said he says He said, I cannot, I will not recant. And he says, here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Here I stand. 
the same advice that Peter had given to this early church, Martin Luther takes it and says, I'm standing firm in it. I can't move because it's the truth. And that's what Christians are to do. And so he gives us great advice. Well, we've been looking a bit of a review. The first week, we referred to Peter as being the apostle of hope. And we said that biblical hope, and this is, if you get anything from this series, biblical hope is more than wishful thinking. It is a confident expectation. It is a guaranteed future. It is a certainty. We can hang our hat on it, so to speak. And I want you to know that we have a certain hope. And as I said, uh, Peter reads like a handbook for ambassadors. We are his representatives uh, on display for all to see. Even the Apostle Paul says, you are our epistles, read and seen. Uh, he says, you are our epistles, written on our hearts, known and read by all men. You know, it's been said um, that we're the only Bible some people ever read. And how we live live it matters and so we're ambassadors for christ and i like this what paul writes he says for i think god has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world both to angels and to men we are on display how we live live matters now Peter, thus far, we're just getting out of the first chapter today. And so the ambassador's message, what our message is, is that we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the ambassador's mindset, which we, what we looked at last week, is that you shall be holy for I am holy. We have that mindset that we're going to be a separate people, that we're going to be a people of integrity, and we're going to do it God's way. And then... Today, we're going to look at the ambassador's manner, how we're to conduct ourselves with respect and love. So what I'd like to do is turn to the passage, if you would, and what I've been doing in this series, when we read a large portion of Scripture, I'd like us to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We can follow the words up here, and I'll read. First Peter 1, 17 through 25, finishing this first chapter. Peter writes, If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ." For he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who, through him, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Please be seated. 
And thanks be to God for his indescribable word. We're going to examine the text here in this passage, and we're going to look at, there's a word that comes up here, and there's a proposition in verse 17, in verse 17 it says, if you address the Father as the one who impartially judges. So if implies that there's a then. And he says this, uh, to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. When we look at the word fear, for the Christian, to understand what biblical fear is, uh, to the Christian, it is a godly, reverential respect. It is an awe. It is a honor. It's to uh, a trust in. It's to be displayed to God and to man. When we look at it for the non-Christian, it's a, a dread. It's a terror and a judgment. It's being afraid of God. It's a fright. And so that's often how we use the word fear, isn't it? We're afraid of something. But it applies differently for Christian and non-Christian. Now here's a catchy way to remember this. If you know God, you won't have fear. No fear. If you don't know God, know God, then you'll know fear. So that's a good way to remember it. Because there is an aspect of fear in our lives, and it's a preventative type of fear that... Uh, it has some benefit, but really to be scared of God and to be fearful of him really has no place in the life of a Christian. This preventative type fear is more, I would describe as, uh, for those of us who've had benevolent fathers that have been kind to us and uh, provided for us and have loved us, when we mess up and we disobey and we dishonor them, uh, we're a little afraid of daddy, aren't we? In a good way, because we don't want to disrespect him. That's a preventative type of fear that's a healthy fear. But that's one out of awe and respect. Now, when we look at fear or respect, Peter um, tells us to conduct ourselves with in fear. And he, we are to show reverential respect to God and to our fellow man. Even to unbelievers. It's, it's the right way to do things. That we can respect people. That we, that we're, um, treat people because we're made in the image of God. Now Peter tells the believers in, uh, 1st 217 where he'll, we're gonna get to this in a couple weeks, but he concludes and he says, look this, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the king. That's a summation of what he's going to tell us here in these first two chapters. But he tells us to fear God, to honor all people, love the brotherhood, honor the king. So that respect and fear should be characteristic of the believer. He also tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, and he tells us that, be ready always to give a reason for the hope that is in in you. Uh, to make a, be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you for the to give an account for the hope that is in you. Uh, that it, gentleness and respect, or reverence, or fear. Some versions say meekness and fear, but we're to give a defense of the reason of the hope that's in us, gently, meekly, with reverence and respect. 
We use this verse as our theme verse when we teach apologetics, Christian apologetics, the defense for the Christian faith. When you engage someone in biblical truth and you're trying to make the case for Christianity, it's not about notching one up in our spiritual gun belt. It's not about winning. It's about breaking barriers down, break, breaking barriers down that cause a person not to believe. Barriers to believe. That's a successful encounter in apologetics. How do we do that? With meekness and with fear, with reverence. Looking at the next aspect today, we're going to look at biblical love. And when we talk about love in the Bible, the Greek is a very precise language. How many say, I love chocolate? Women always say, I love chocolate. Okay, that's a preference. I, I enjoy chocolate or it's appealing to me or... Really, there's not a Greek word for that type of love. You like it. <clears throat> However, we use that all the time, don't we? And so it's real easy to confuse the words for love. And you've heard this before, that there's the philia love. That's brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. That's where it got its name. So philia is a brotherly love. Then there's a storge love. That's a... Uh, familiar love, like within a family, the deeper relationships within a family. And then there's the eros, the marital love. That's where we get the word erotic from, the sexual love. And then there's the word agape, with the agapao in Greek. It's a godlike, it's a selfless love. And it's uh, seeking the best for others. So when... Our writers in the New Testament are using this. It's always good to check what the word is to to see what he's saying to do. And he does this. He says, with us since verse 22, he goes on to say, since you have been in obedience to the truth, purify your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. So with that love for the brethren, that's the philia love. And then we're to fervently love one another. That's the agape. That we're to have the love of God, the love that comes from God, caring for one another and how important that is to us. If you've noticed in this first chapter, Peter is setting up these two uh, compare and contrasts uh, throughout this first chapter. And he, he talks about that which is perishable and fading to the imperishable and the valuable. In verse 4, he says that we obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. In verse 7, he says, uh, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. I think gold is pretty valuable. Silver is pretty valuable. But all in all, it's perishable. Um, In verse 18, uh, Peter tells us, You are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, but with the precious blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless. So he's comparing the two. In verse 23, For you have been born again not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. In um, verse 24, he says, all flesh is like grass. It withers away. It it falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. 
So we see these contrasts that Peter is making. And we see the value of that, that the love of God is communicated in what is perishable and what is imperishable. And we see that we have the, uh, the, the means as Christians, you know, with the love of Christ in us and the respect for the dignity of man, that we have the means to uh, conduct ourselves with respect and love. One of the things that Peter says is because you've been born again. One of the things that's always amazing to me that I find difficult to grasp is that people who have said that they're born again would ever be unforgiving to another. I always have to, in the back of my mind, is do you really know what it is to be forgiven? Does it not trouble you when you see people that claim to be Christians and they just have a hardness about them? If Christ has forgiven me, I need to forgive others. And that's really motivation here because you've been born again. We need to treat people with the respect and love that they deserve. Now, the verse 25, it says, But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. You heard the gospel. And we know that the gospel, we are partakers of it. So if we know that we've been saved, we've been redeemed, we have a new life, we have a living hope, what sort of people should we be? And that's the argument that Peter's making here, that this is to be lived out. He goes on to say, You were redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless. The blood of Christ. Two interesting words in this phrase. I've underlined them for you. Blemished. Born without defect. One of the first things that the shepherds would do in Bethlehem when a lamb was born is that they would immediately scarf up that lamb, wrap it in swaddling cloth, cloth and put it in the manger. That's why when we read the Christmas story, that was not strange to them. That was their procedure that they would do with a sacrificial lamb. The sacrificial lambs for the temple in Jerusalem, eight miles away, that was done in Bethlehem. That was their job, raise the sacrificial lambs. So it couldn't have any blemishes on it when it was born. It couldn't have a defect. So if it was a good lamb, they'd wrap it up and put it in there. So it was born without defect. And then also, it was spotless. It couldn't have uh, spots as it lived. So that lamb that lived that first couple of years and was going to be used in the sacrifice couldn't have been attacked by a wolf or couldn't have been maimed by a, 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 an animal or fallen or broken a bone. And so these two things speak of Christ. He was born without defect and he lived without defect. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus. And that brings us to the Lord's Supper today. My goodness, the Lord tells us to uh, partake of this. I'm going to ask our uh, deacons if you'll come and, and prepare the table. One of the best ways that we can manifest the love and respect God has for us is the, through the observance of the Lord's Supper. Man, I'm going to ask you if you would please have a seat while I just have some opening words here. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed... He had gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And Peter was one of those that that Jesus sent ahead to prepare the room that God had miraculously 
prepared beforehand, Peter was going to be one of those men. But I remember what the Lord Jesus said when he was starting that, that, that supper. And this is the Passover Seder. And he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffered. And how he longed to sup with us and to be with us and to have this time together. And it's how important it is. This is where he institutes what we call the Lord's Supper. It's an ordinance. That's why we observe it. And how important it is for us to observe and to cherish it. Now the um, the Seder itself, the meal, prefigures the Lord's sacrifice. His death, burial, and resurrection. All the, all of the, if you've ever been to a Seder, it has these illustrations in it. And it's in the Old Testament. These, the Jewish people were observing this all along through their history. And now, um, he uses this now to explain, I'm the fulfillment of this. Paul gives us instructions in 1 Corinthians uh, 11 about the Lord's Supper, and it's important. And he tells us, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And one of the things that Paul tells us and he cautions us about is not to take of the Lord's Supper unworthily. If you are not a believer in Christ, if you haven't placed your trust and faith in him, let me caution you, please don't take the elements. It's a very serious thing. However, ours is an open communion. You might not be a member of this church, but a believer in the Lord Jesus, by all means, partake. And let me also challenge you that if if you have ought with your brother or you've sinned in this time of waiting while we're taking the elements, make things right with God. Confess, confess what you've done wrong. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. Put it under the blood. Don't harbor it. Confess. Agree with God that you've sinned. And those are the cautions that, that Paul gives He tells us, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So when we pass the elements, take time to uh, judge yourself rightly. I'm going to ask as we take the elements that you'd hold them until everyone's received and we'll take them together. Now, Jesus was pleased to share this Passover with his disciples. And the bread and the cup represents his body and his blood. And so we're going to, um, if men, if you'll stand, and I'll, I'll read from the scriptures. It says that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Ed Thompson, would you give thanks for the precious body of the Lord Jesus? Father, we are thankful today for the joy of Christian worship. Father, we're thankful 
today that you blessed us with part of our worship today is to celebrate Lord the Lord's Supper today. Father, we're made mindful as we as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Lord, that you willingly became our Passover lamb for the sins of lost men and women. Father, as we prepare now to partake of this bread, Father, representing your broken body, we pray, Lord, that we would honor your word by examining each of our hearts. Lord, that we would be found worthy of your broken body and your spilled blood today. Bless us in your name we pray. Amen. He took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. He said, this is my body. Take, eat, in remembrance of me. Let's partake. The scriptures go on to tell us that in the same way he took the cup after the supper... Now, in the Passover meal, you know that there are four cups in it, and there's space throughout the meal. After the supper, that cup, that third cup, is called the cup of redemption, and how appropriately named it is, because that's the cup that Lord Jesus used to distinguish it from the others and to speak of his shed blood. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Randy Walston, would you give thanks for the precious blood of the Lord Jesus? Father, we just humble ourselves before you this morning, Lord, just uh, lifting up your greatness and your mercy. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you for such an awesome worship for us. Lord, we uh, thank you. We recognize that what this cup symbolizes, uh, your blood that we shed, that we may have everlasting life. Lord, we ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Men, please be seated. He took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. The scriptures go on to tell us that after the supper, they finished with a hymn and went out into the garden. We're going to close with, blessed be the tie that binds, and thank the Lord for the hope of the resurrection that we have the confident expectation that the Lord Jesus will return and that we are his through his precious blood. Jonathan. Let me close with a benediction from this passage we've read today. Our Father and God, we thank you for what Peter told that first century church and how we were to live in a manner of worthy of you to walk with fear and respect and love. I thank you that you told us that we would not redeem with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your fathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We thank you for that. Let us never 
forget what he accomplished on our behalf on Calvary's cross. May we cherish it. May we value it all the days of our lives. And may we be willing to tell others how they can be made right with you with such a great sacrifice. We thank you for the fellowship of the saints, the kindred hearts that are gathered today in your precious name. For it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.